Welcome back to Danger Film. This is alongside our regular weekly show, Movies, 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 on FBI Radio. I'm Jack, and this is Andre, and today we have the pleasure of interviewing Australian filmmaker Sari Braithwaite, who has a film called Censored that's playing at the Sydney Film Festival today. Today. Thank you for having me. (laughs) The show is about censorship and radical filmmaking in and around Australia, and we're talking to people across the kind of broad spectrum of what it is to be an Australian filmmaker and their responses, which have been very different. To, to, we've talked to Lee Winnell, we've talked to, just this morning, Hunter Page Lockhart, and now we're talking to you. And your film is kind of at the centre of what is this theme, because it's called Censored. But this is kind of where we came up with the idea that we would do this series, um, because it looked like you were going to be unpacking the industry itself, how we think about censorship, and um, I guess our history which I think we wanted to go in depth a little bit more than we could on our regular show, and that's why we're doing it. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Do you want to start by giving us a little introduction to your film Censored that's playing at the Sydney Film Festival? So Censored is an experimental documentary which is stitched together from the scraps of all the little bits that were cut out of cinema um, from 1958 to 1971 in Australia. So what would happen would be that films would be imported into the country um, and come in on ships and then they'd come through the customs department and before anyone had the chance to watch them, the censors would take a look and then chop out the bits that they thought were offensive to the, the community standard and no one knew that the government was doing this and I have made a film which is made up of all these little bits that had got cut out and sometimes we're talking about you know a stray a stray couple of frames and then sometimes we're talking about whole sequences and minutes just totally hacked out of film and so it was this collection that I came across in the National Archives 1991 clips and I spent the last couple of years watching it and trying to figure out how I felt about it all was it traumatic we joked when I started that I was going to be traumatised by the collection. It was like, ha-ha, what could be so offensive um, from the 60s? But actually, in some ways, it it was kind of traumatic and it wasn't what I expected it to be. Um, the big thought with it was that um, we I was going to liberate this archive that as a filmmaker and as a creator my responsibility would be to let us see all the things that we hadn't seen. But then on watching it all, I found that there was lots in the archive that made me really uncomfortable. And I didn't quite know how to balance that for a long time, believing in creative um, expression and freedom from government censorship, but then also being deeply troubled by the archive. And that was something that, uh, that the project is about, about how do we wrestle with these two competing ideas. What kind of films are you watching, if you don't mind me asking? Are we just talking, you know, rom-coms where they're cutting out a few naughty scenes or are there some really harrowing, traumatic scenes that are also being cut that we don't really know about? In that collection, which spans this kind of period of in the middle of the century, it's a mix of everything. So you're talking about some films from filmmakers who are the canon of of filmmaking, um, but then you're also talking about a bunch of, B-grade film, because if you think about what comes out in the cinema, there's a lot of bad stuff. (laughs) And so there's a lot of average films, and then there's a lot of amazing films, and then the whole spectrum of what the moving image is, which can be great and terrible, 
or unforgettable or totally kind of forgettable. Was there anything you censored from censored? There's, there was stuff that I didn't want to show for, for sure. And, um, and that made me really kind of interrogate that idea about, well, what's the similarities between a filmmaker and a censor? Because if you think about it, there's, there is something about the power to tell a story. The government were doing it by the day by, you know, a bunch of kind of judgments and morality of the government. But I, as an individual, am also making judgments and applying my own morality to the collection. And there was stuff that I didn't want to, I wasn't comfortable showing. And that's another, that's a really tricky question for filmmakers because we think of ourselves in opposition to the senses that we're, we're opposing forces. But when we both have the power to tell the story, there's some similarities there too. One of the first films or moments of censorship that you show in Censored is a conversation with Bob Dylan. Yeah, it's a scene from uh, the Penny Baker documentary, Don't Look Back. Yeah, yeah which seems like a very nothing form of censorship. They're just cutting some uh, a disagreement almost. There are some things that you watch and it's just absurd that it was censored. You know, that scene that you're talking about was censored for a variety of reasons, but none of them are offensive to today's standards. And and I think that this is true almost across the board from the for the whole collection is that if you were to watch one one clip in isolation, most of the time you'd think it was totally you know, to, you know not worth centering. Like what what a bunch of effort for something that doesn't seem to really be a problem. But it was something about the the collectiveness of all of these clips that things started to get difficult. And I, and I think that that was what surprised me because I watched a couple of reels of these censored clips and I was like, oh, this project's going to be so fun. There's, it's so absurd that this stuff was cut. But then when you watch it on repeat for week after week and month after month, it stops feeling fun and I didn't expect that. How do you think censorship has changed? Because... I think there was such a backlash against censorship maybe 20 years ago. Your first film, or not your first film, but the film before this, Smart Hounds, was about a film that David Stratton tried to show. And I feel like we grew up, I don't know if everyone knows this, but we grew up sort of idolising, you know, Margaret for showing Ken Park and getting arrested. And, like, that's a real hero moment for me. But uh, looking back now, it seems like there's a different approach to how we think about censorship because the floodgates kind of were opened. Like, I get freaked out by, like, things in Hereditary, I guess, or, like, even things in Game of Thrones is really intense for me and I find it hard to watch or something, and, like, just Donald Trump in general. I mean, not that we wanted to go to Trump on this podcast, but it almost feels like all the things that are cut that you see in Censored are things that we now have kind of embraced almost too ecstatically. And I, th- I think that's a really, it's a really interesting reflection on where the world is at now. And I think, I think it's really important to acknowledge that in the 60s, when you're talking about government censorship, it was deeply repressive for so many, you know, Australians at that time that you couldn't see what was happening around the world and the world was changing in such big and profound ways and in many ways it felt in Australia like we were being denied that and we were being held back from those sweeping changes. So that can be true as well as there being the problem that, you know, what happens when artistic freedom 
inhibits or creates um, difficulties for the freedoms of others. And I think that's sort of where we're at today with the ideas around, you know, freedom of information and freedom of speech, that what are what are the limits of our freedom when they affect other people or, and make make their freedoms limited in some way. And I, so I think we're in this time where it's a really kind of, we're really dissecting this stuff and we're, we're required to have a much more sophisticated understanding of what we should and we shouldn't see. Does that, does that make yeah. sense? I think it's great because I feel like your film is both a, a sophisticated and nuanced investigation of the concept of censorship and also a montage of obscene footage. So... I mean, it definitely appealed to the uh, filmmaker in me because I got to see what was considered naughty back in the day and it also appealed to the academic in me because you're really writing a video essay on, on these concepts that affect all the films that came out in that era. Even today, I was just thinking about Lady Bird and how they censored the C word when she said it and they put in the word coos and that wasn't like that in America. They didn't censor that word in America and they got the same rating as in Australia. But in Australia, there's this weird ADR moment. But why is that? Because in America, they're more they're, they're more. That's what troubled. we assume, but I think Australia has a different form of conservatism with our art. And I wondered if you could talk about Australia. That's actually the best analogy for what was happening in the 60s because, uh, you know, we didn't really know that it had happened until it came out afterwards that this these cuts and changes had been made. But it was also this negotiation that existed between the regulations of the government and the distributor of the film who wanted to make sure that it could be uh, watched by people under 15. And that's definitely what happened in the 1960s in Australia, that it wasn't like the government was censoring these films and not telling the film distributors. The film distributors, the cinemas, even the film festivals knew that their films were being cut. It's just no one was talking about it. So that's another part of it that we always we th- when we think about these oppositions actually there's a whole bunch of complicitness it's kind um, of this like sanding off of the edges or something yeah totally and i think i think it's it's something that we don't like to think about as australians the conservative our conservative kind of reaction to this stuff but i think when you when you dig down in it it's definitely a part of of our history and it still permeates the culture today Can I pose a hyperbole or a question for the group? Because you've just made me realise something, that if Lady Bird's censorship in Australia was because they wanted 15-year-olds to be able to see the film, because it's obviously targeting a specific audience, and they knew that they wouldn't be able to show it to those people if it had the C word in it, do you think there's a way that censorship can be positive for a film? I'm not taking a side, I'm just throwing it in the air. One of the things that I remember coming across years and years ago, and I feel like I hope that I quote this correctly, was that there was an academic who made an argument that the Hayes Code in the in the US, which was was about you know censorship before the film was made, you know, a set of rules and regulations about how a film could be made, and it was self regulation for Hollywood, but because they couldn't do a lot of stuff, um, it meant that the writers had to and the filmmakers had to be much more clever in how they were telling stories. Like, how do you create sexual tension um, or innuendo when you're not allowed to do any of that stuff on screen? And that the argument of this academic at the time was that the Hayes Code gave, gave limitations, which actually encouraged better filmmaking and I thought that was such an interesting idea. And that's something that I think you hear about in Hitchcock's work because he was working in the horror genre and he 
was a master of suspense and not showing what I would consider to be something that you would censor. It's also self-censorship, though, because he was, like, deeply Catholic. I mean... I think that that's, like, do you want to both talk... the Hayes Code and Hitchcock being Catholic. Do you want to talk about that for a little bit? Um, maybe. Like, self-censorship? We've been talking We've a lot... been talking a lot about self-censorship because we've been talking to a lot of filmmakers, and I think what came up with Hyun Lee and what came up, again, with Hunter and what's coming up with you is these sort of things, like, places you're not willing to go because you just don't want to show some things and put some things out in the world and there's, like, enough of something in the world already, which is actually becoming a common thread with Australian filmmakers that we're talking to. One response I would have, uh, just to add on to this, with your Ladybug thing where it's, like, is it a good thing that they can show it to the... they can show it to this audience? Part of me wants to say, well, that word has kind of been normalised now and maybe the impact is in removing the stigma from that word and making that word blunt rather than making it scary and, like, offensive. Maybe 15-year-olds should just be, like, have that word normalised and show that it's, like, an offensive word to the teacher in that situation that she doesn't mean. I don't know. I, I, th- I mean, I think Greta Gerwig is a very smart filmmaker and if, if she wanted that word in her film, I trust that it should have been in there. Mm. That's my feeling, but, I, you I know, I don't too. know. Yeah. You said that in the film you say that because you watched a lot of footage and after a while it made you feel very uneasy and that you maybe ended up hating the archive. Do you mind speaking about your experience? Totally. So I think that what happened was that the the thing with a censored archive is that you're only watching clips that are outside of the context of the story in which they're made. So you're watching the same types of action on repeat and it it was not only the action but the way it was filmed and the way it was depicted on repeat that there was no kind of diversity of perspective of what a kiss looks like um which is not particularly problematic but then also what what a punch looks like or what a slap looks like so it was it was an archive that felt like I was drowning in this repetition that I really didn't like and then once you see something so many times like that you can really pinpoint what's wrong with the the representation of it and I'd never really experienced that because often these are such fleeting moments in the context of a story they just wash over you but when that's all you've got you're like an archaeologist of this action over and over again it's all you can dig up you start to really think about what you've been watching for all these years and Mm -hmm. and it took me a really long time like I'm surprised by how long it took me to really realise that I didn't like this archive and that, and to figure out what I wanted to do with this film because I came in it, into it with a whole bunch of expectations about what I was doing and it took me years to figure out that I was totally wrong. Let's cut to the meat, I think. Some of your opinions about the archive and censorship, if you don't mind. We're going to talk about the male gaze, is that right? That's yeah. Exactly what we're talk about. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one of the things I realised in watching this collection was that the collection was entirely directed by um, male filmmakers. So we're talking 1,991 clips, and there are two female directors. One is Shirley Clark, and it's just they cut out some of her swear words. Oh my gosh, from, we love Shirley Clark. Yeah, sorry. So um, from The Connection, and then the other censored filmmaker who was a woman was Agnes Barter. But besides that, every everyone is. Is was was men in the collection, and 
you realize that in although there's you know smatterings of um you know concerns about blasphemy and language the mostly you're talking about sex and violence and it's sex and violence through the lens of a male way of of seeing and that was just very difficult for as a as a woman filmmaker and as a feminist filmmaker to want to liberate because it was an archive that made me feel awful and objectified me and it made me question like what what role does a feminist filmmaker have in essentially liberating an archive of you know misogyny like how do you feel being like in the middle of all of this male gaze and why did that make you become confessional i think one of the reasons why it is such a confessional film is because there's a lot of stuff that I still haven't quite figured out that it raised a lot of questions for me and questions that I think are at the heart of not only being a, a filmmaker but also at the heart of what it is to be a spectator and to to watch and love to watch films. And I don't think um, I got to the end of this film with a whole bunch of answers about how to proceed but a whole bunch of, I guess, questions and maybe ways of approaching things in in the future and that's what the kind of confessional personal essay was all about is about acknowledging that I didn't have the all the answers and also that even the act of engaging with this archive and sharing this archive makes me complicit in a way and um, the, the I feel like there's no way around that and I feel like I cop that so I can share it and we can have that discussion. So it was all about letting everyone know that this is this film and me going through it is kind of will always be a work in progress but that's the point I think that um, the stuff in the archive that has troubled me most and um, is also the stuff that troubled me before the archive um, which is it's it's documentary footage that I, I actually find the most difficult to deal with and one of the things that we really struggled with with how to use in this film because it's all well and good to look at this kind of the constructed narrative stuff and start dissecting the representation of that but when you're talking about real people and real death and real violence that becomes really tricky because making a cultural point at the expense of a real person doesn't feel like an ethical decision so I think definitely when I think about the archive the images that stay in my memory are documentary images which I think were taken by filmmakers in a way which I think was deeply unethical and when I think about the stuff that has troubled me the most before that it is I think about I tend to be drawn to watching documentary footage where you know you see where you see someone actually murdered on screen and I I really question um, the purpose of that, that what the ethics of that for the family and for the indiv- and the individual themselves and, and what we glean from watching horror like that, uh, real-life horror. And so that's definitely something that, particularly as a filmmaker who works mostly in a documentary tradition, that's the thing that I, I often interrogate, the, the ethics of what we're watching when it's real people. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm danger film this has been real and uh, until next time that's bye from now i guess see ya thank you bye bye <laughs> thank you so much sorry thank you this podcast is produced by fbi radio in sydney 
Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.